0: Welcome to NCT Answers, the podcast from End-Up Studies that examines theological issues from a New Covenant theology perspective. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, joined as always by Jeff Volker. Jeff, our question today is, how do we understand passages that speak of the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost?
1: I think within the New Covenant community, this is probably one of the most uh, difficult passages. Concepts to to sort through, and we have a v- good guys variety of different answers to this question. And so I thought this would be a good uh, issue to discuss in our podcast. Uh, let's begin at least put the issue on the table with John chapter seven, the Gospel of John chapter seven, verses thirty seven thirty nine. Context: Jesus. Um, is uh, talking to the Jews. Mm -hmm. And he says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Okay, now... By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, I think everybody, at least in the New Covenant Committee, would recognize this is a difficult passage. Mm. And because, from my perspective, taking it at its face value without any qualifications doesn't seem to fit Mm. Scripture. And so now then we're forced to qualify it. Then the debate is, to what direction do you go to qualify it? And there we have a variety of options. But where is the problem? Well, the problem is, he's talking about, you know, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That seems naturally talk about the new heart. You're now a God lover. That's and they say, "Well, that comes from bec- you become a believer, okay?" And but then he says, "By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive." Well, you get the impression that the Holy Spirit, first off, just the, the, even the most blatant way of saying it, there's no work of the Holy Spirit until Pentecost. Well. Anybody with just a concordance goes into the Old Testament, There's bucket loads of the working of the Holy Spirit. So then you have to ask the question, well, this means from a, in a certain sense, the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Mm. I think this is part of the key to answering the, you know, the question of how to handle the passage. In what sense? So let's first just address a couple of things. Uh, we know that the two key Old Testament figures of who are believers would be Abraham and David. Both are said in Romans chapter four to have their sins forgiven. Uh, Abraham is described in James as being a friend of God. David is described repeatedly as as having, you know, uh, what is the phrase? Um, all of a sudden, my mind just went blank he 's a man after god 's own heart that 's it so this is repeatedly Now, nobody disputes this stuff well, now we have to ask the question okay, how do you become a friend of God? How do you become a man after god 's own heart now, and of course we in the new covenant you know theology you know uh you know uh group all, are also Calvinists holding to the doctrines of grace. And we all, we clearly understand that nobody, because of Adam's sin, nobody wants to become a believer. Nobody can become a believer. Romans 3, no one seeks after God. No, not one. So that means if anybody is going to seek after God or being drawn to Christ, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that has to cause that. No, First off, nobody would dispute that. So the problem is, is that if someone is a believer in before Pentecost, which we have a variety of examples of that, they cannot become a believer apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. So we, so that would be an example of interpreting the Old through the lens of the New. We know from the New what salvation is. That's not clear in the Old because that's not the time for believing, yet there is a remnant of believers there. So the New tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, Hebrews 10.14, for by one sacrifice, he has Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is the new covenant, but someone like David, someone like Abraham, experienced the benefits of the new covenant, at least to the extent of having their sins forgiven and having this work, the spirit in their hearts. So now they, they have been changed from being a God-hater to a God-lover Hence, David is called a man after God's own heart, and Abraham is called a friend of God. So it seems to me that you cannot be this apart from the transforming work or the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so those are issues that seem to me, at least to me, quite clear. Now we have to address the issue of, and this more comes from dispensational side of the theological spectrum, where they'll talk in terms of this kind of a language. Now the Spirit indwells us, whereas in the Old Testament, he came upon, around, but did not indwell. I think those categories are not biblical at all. But what we do see in the Old Testament, in particular in the Old Covenant era with Israel, we see, first off, Israel as an unbelieving picture of the people of God. We see the Holy Spirit uh, involved in Israel, but most, but mostly with unbelievers. So, example we have in Book of Exodus, we have the uh, in the description of the making of, of the integral parts of the tabernacle. You have the statement of these two guys, Bezalel and Ohiliab, were gifted by the Holy Spirit to build the intricate parts of the tabernacle. Now. There is no mention of any qualifications of being a believer to do this. They were just Israelites. Okay, but they were gifted by the Holy Spirit. You have in Samuel, where when Saul was the king, chosen to be king of Israel, that he had a change of heart. and But that doesn't seem to be... He didn't become a believer because at every point... In his reign as king, he was not faithful, and he was not a God-lover at all, and yet he had a changed heart, and then at some point the spirit left him. We would typically refer that to he was given uh, ability to be king, and then God abandoned him because he was rejected as king. David is now going to take his place, and of course Saul, at the end of his life, in battle, he killed himself, suicide, by his own sword, uh, so, from beginning to end, there is no evidence that Saul is ever believer. So, the question that is typically then dealt with is, okay, yes, from Pentecost onward, the Holy Spirit transforms us, but in the Old Testament, as believers, he doesn't really transform you. And that is the bone of contention. We're old Testament believers, believers before Pentecost, experiencing a transforming work of the Holy Spirit, okay, and it's and we, in light of that we have to, you know explain John 7 37-39, so now, let me give you my take and then, well there's two other places that we need to go in the New Testament to talk about this so when he talks about whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, "Rivers of living water will flow from within them." He's talking about the transformed life. And I don't think I don't know anybody doesn't agree with that. By this he meant the Spirit, who those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I would say we need to make a qualification at this point: that there were that first off, Pentecost is the historical time for believing. Number one, but of course we have the disciples became believers before Pentecost. Two, that there is unique workings of the Holy Spirit that were only for believers this side of Pentecost. So I would say the changed life is before, but there's unique workings. So when you talk about the Holy Spirit has not yet been given, you can talk to about in, in two senses. You can talk, talk about it in the sense that it's not the, the time for believing historically doesn't start until Pentecost, which is true. By the way, keep that in mind. If you flip over to Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12, we talk about the emphasis in, in the New Testament that historically the time for believing doesn't even begin until Pentecost. Look at verses 11 and 12. Where it says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now it sounds like, at least to me on the surface reading, it's as though it was not before that. There simply came a time when the sal- grace for salvation appeared. Well, historically, that's true. We're not saying people weren't believers in the Old Testament. We're saying historically the time for believing, the time for collecting up the real people of God, a spiritual Israel, was not to, until Pentecost. So, this kind of language is there in the New Testament. And, and, and so, we have to keep that in mind. So, in that sense, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. Well, that's true. That's true. It's not the, historically not the time for believing because the Old Covenant is the time of the picture. Israel is that temporary unbelieving picture of the people of God. But then in the second sense, there are there unique workings of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers that are only available this side of Pentecost? And I would say, well, yes. The new heart is not one of them. Forgiveness of sins and the new heart, Hebrews 10.14. No, that's just basic part of the new covenant. If you're a believer, if you're Job, you got that. Job is, it, was a God-lover but that's only because of the work of the holy spirit but what we have that's unique is we have the fullness of revelation that the holy spirit gives which is huge so example how to become a believer what this christian life will look like the role of suffering you know the understanding of assurance all of that stuff doesn't come until the teaching passages of the new covenant era so that's unique and that has a tremendous effect i think in stimulating growth in Christ. So we'll talk about that. Two, there's no... The Holy Spirit creates a unique families of believers. Oh, that doesn't exist in the old. David was a believer, but man, he's, he's just with with unbelievers, by and large. Uh, third, the gifting of spiritual gifts. That's unique to believers this side of Pentecost. Because we saw... Once again, referring back to Bezalel and Ohiliab were gifted by the Holy Spirit to build the intricate parts of the tabernacle. Well, they were building a physical building where now we're gifted by the Holy Spirit to build a spiritual building. Okay, well, that's the language. Uh, that's true. So, just touch. So, these things alone also, we ought to add, throw one more in the hopper, that the motivating, the Holy Spirit as a motivator to take the gospel to the world Acts you know one eight but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem Judea Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth that's unique to this side of Pentecost because that's when that's the great commission that's where the, the gospel is now supposed to be taken to the four corners of the world because God has His elect from every tribe nation and tongue Israel was an unbelieving picture now we're collecting up the real Israel of God but they're scattered all over the world therefore we need Believers need to be motivated to take the gospel all over the place. To collect up true spiritual Israel. Okay, so you have that. Um, so, I would say that that which is unif- all believers get is forgiveness of sins and a new heart. The work of the Holy Spirit. Which is going to make them Christ-like. What Oh the work of the Holy Spirit that only believers who live this side of Pentecost get would be those unique things we've just listed. Mm -hmm. And so you have to take that into account. When you come across the passages, you have to say, well, in what sense is the Spirit not yet given? So staying in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, which is that, you know, the two chunks of the Gospel of John that talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, John chapter 14 and 16. Uh, But look at verse 12. John says, um, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Okay. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes, well, this is... Pentecost this would be the we would say these talking about the unique new covenant era aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit that that are only available to believers who live this side of Pentecost that's true so this does all kind of dovetail down to the question how come it seems that the quality of a believer's life is much greater this side of Pentecost than before And I think that's a a very realistic question. I would say the reason that seems to be so is because of the tools available to the believer for growth. After Pentecost, they become, you know, quite a bit. Before Pentecost, very, very few. Abraham had far fewer than David. David had, you know, still uh, didn't have that many. And so, therefore... The means of grace, means of growth, the, the, the things God uses to cause us as believers to grow, is uh, they just didn't have. So, the illustration, of course, that we've used for this is the movie by Tom Hanks, Castaway. <laughs> and, you know, so let's suppose that there you're on, the, you're on the FedEx plane and there's a Bible on the FedEx plane. You're not a believer, you read the Bible, you become a believer. And the plane crashes. Everybody's dead except for you. The Bible's burned up. You're left on the island with Wilson the volleyball. Now, how fast are you going to grow? Mm -hmm. Because all of the tools, now you are a believer, you're a God lover, you don't know scripture, except you know know the gospel, you don't know anything else, the Bible's gone, you have no other believers to encourage you, um, how fast we grow. We would say, well, not very fast. Mm-hmm. Well, that, to me, would explain the difference in quality of, of believers' lives from before uh, Pentecost versus after, because we had many more tools for growth. So, Also, it just comes to me
0: that, that the at Pentecost, the very day of Pentecost, where Peter gives his, his famous sermons and 3,000 come to faith, so the idea that, that the work of the Spirit... Sort of gets energized or becomes dramatically greater. Satan is now bound, so there's a whole lot of things that take place at Pentecost that, that relate to that pouring out of the Spirit. Because the, the the we would not say that the disciples weren't believers; they were. They but they weren't. They didn't have, as you said, all the tools. They were. They were still, in essence, and so, I, I never think of it this way, but we read the Gospels. That's Old Covenant. That's prior to Pentecost. It's not till we get to Acts, really, that we begin to see the the real working of the Spirit in the age of belief.
1: No, you're a- absolutely true. Um, and from John 13, mm-hmm. 14 on, remember when Peter uh, is... Um, the, the cleaning of... P- Peter's feet by Jesus, mm-hmm. and Peter says to them, I'll "Wash my whole body." The Lord says, "No, that's not necessary. You are clean." I think this was the first clear place in Scripture where we have the we can say Peter was a believer at this point. It's it's kind of fuzzy because it's it's pre-Pentecost, mm-hmm. as, so when you became believers, not always clear. How you become believers, not always clear. But if Peter is clean, he is. He is a believer, because Jesus, from 14 to 17, this is this intimate discussion with the Lord, with his remaining disciples. Judas is now gone. Uh, so, this, um, so Peter is a believer, and of course you cannot be a believer apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. And yet, we still have to take into account the unique aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit this side of Pentecost. So it's not a matter of believers in the before Pentecost not having the Holy Spirit. Of course they did. But they lived at a time when there were very few of these tools for growth available to them which the Holy Spirit brings about. That's not going to happen until after Pentecost. Right. So on one hand, there is... It's all, you know, the forgiveness of sins and the new heart, what Jesus purchased on the cross, that's the same for, you know, from Adam on, that's mm-hmm. the same. From another point of view, there is something unique about Pentecost mm-hmm. in the unique working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. So you kind of have both of those things in mind. Also, we have the, the statements about Pentecost where it's, it's like there was no belief before, mm. Well, technically, we know that's not true. There's always a remnant of believers before Pentecost. But the time for believing historically in God's plan doesn't begin until Pentecost. And as you brought up, you, know, you know, thousands are being saved at Pentecost. This was just the, the picture that the time of fulfillment, the time of the Spirit has come. Because it's when you think it through, Jeff, it, Jesus was on, on the earth
0: preaching, teaching, going around yeah. for three and a half years, and very few came to faith.
1: Oh yes, <laughs> I mean, yeah. in
0: that you go what? You know, no. it wasn't until after he was, you know, was, was uh, R- dead and resurrected R- and, R- and, and, and glorified. That's when the real age of belief comes. You're really true, and it's it, 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 you know that's why I, I think when when we sometimes uh, we camp too much in the gospels with you know the, the the rest of scripture's really where all the information that we really need is for, to be found.
1: You're right. We really need to read the gospel through the lens of of the, the teaching passages right. of the New. Right. We have to do that. Otherwise, we'll get a distorted view of things. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's probably the best answer. It's a bit of a qualified answer. I admit it's a difficult passage, but I the things I think that, at least I gave what we need to consider to do justice to especially John 17, John 7, 37 to
0: 39. All right. Well, if you have questions about today's topic, and I know it's kind of involved, but uh, or suggestions for other topics, by all means visit our website, ids.org, or if you'd like to talk to Jeff, to Jeff directly, you can reach him at.
1: My cell phone number is area code 480 313 8558, and my email address is volker.jeff at gmail.com Thanks for listening.